start where you are, use what you've got, do what you can. You'll make a difference. Don't worry about the outcome. The outcome will take care of itself. Don't worry about the ownership. Don't worry about who gets the credit for it. And then good things happen. Mark Purvis spent over 20 years as a GP. We talk about his cold water swimming journey, the science of thinking and Mark's interpretation of that, and of course his love of rugby, which leads nicely into his current work with international mixed ability sport. Mark sees firsthand the injustices facing people with disabilities, and his passion for tackling and talking about the issues is so obvious. Since recording this conversation, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how people can get stuck in a mindset and a way of thinking about an issue. Changing from a negative disability mindset to a positive ability-focused mindset is something that we can all do, and it's not that hard. I'm so thankful for Mark for taking the time to talk to me, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Mark Purvis. So, can I just start off by saying congratulations about the recent channel crossing that you've Oh, thank you, yes. We have just been speaking about it a little bit before recording, but if you can explain sort of how you got into, well, cold water swimming, I suppose. It was 2015, and I was pretty much a couch potato, and my, my daughters were worried about my health. And my best man at my wedding, a, a really nice guy called Paul, um, had, had just died of... Um, immediately you want an upbeat podcast and here am I talking about death and dying um so my mate Paul was best man at my wedding he he presented with bowel cancer not in the normal way with bowel symptoms but with a lump in his neck so it was pretty pretty advanced and and I was pretty pissed off about it and, and I remember ringing him up and telling him I was pissed off about it you know I was angry he said something really important to me he said um you and I Mark have sat across the corner of a desk with people who haven't had our benefits and yes I'd like to see my children get married I'd like to see my grandchildren and I won't see any of that but I've had 50 good years and that's more than than most people get and I can't be angry about that I can't be angry about the the cards I've been dealt they're they're just the cards I've been dealt so um so my kids knew that I was I'd been a bit angry and they knew when he died that I that I was very sad um, as, as you would be and the children know how to press your buttons so they said do something for Paul you know there's this great north swim going on in Windermere and you know you're a good swimmer dad so um you know and it's in it's it's for Macmillan you know one of Paul's charity why don't you do it in memory of Paul so at a weak moment I said yes I'd, I'd do it and of course they'd said you know I'm a good swimmer but they were thinking back to when they were five or six and we used to swim in a hotel pool that was maybe 12 meters long <laughs> and I'm twice their height and I can outstretch them for the wall. And I hadn't swum for a long, long, long time. And I had swum a lot as a child, but I hadn't swum for a long time. So I rang up a mate of mine and said, um, who, who's a, a very good triathlete and said, you know, what's the answer? <laughs> he said, it's not as simple as that. He said, you've really got to get yourself a coach. So I got myself a coach and Christine got me to go on this back to basics course and they took you back to uh, breathing, legs, started with doggy paddle and just completely built your stroke. And during that eight week course, she said, I've got an introduction to open water swimming. She took me up to a place in Yorkshire called Gaddings Dam, which is a reservoir on top of the top of the Pennines, uh, totally exposed, very cold. 
And I just thought, why am I swimming in swimming pools? This is the most beautiful experience, swimming with the sky above you and, and the horizon as far as you can see. You got that the first time you were there? And you I thought, got this that. This is brilliant. And I just thought, this is swimming, and the rest is putting your head in the toilet and pulling the flush. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just horrible. Um, so um, that first 2015 swim, I would say probably did 75% of it breaststroke and 25% of it freestyle. And I've slowly built up my freestyle over, over the years. And I've challenged myself to do slightly longer swims. So I've done Coniston end-to-end a couple of times, which is five and a quarter miles. And then last year I did the Silly Swim Challenge, which is something like 10, 10 kilometres of walking and 20 kilometres sw- of swimming. So it's a, it's a two-day event, the one that I did. You swim from one island to the next, walk over it, and then swim to the next island. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. The f- you choose the, the speed that you want to swim at, and they put you in a, a group of other swimmers who are swimming at your speed, and you stay together, and if you're slightly going faster, you tread water and wait for people to come. It's not a race. It's And it's really important to me to be present in the moment when I'm swimming. So uh, it's when I think about Paul. It's when I think about my aunt who who had motor neuron disease but it's also when I simultaneously think about those people but I'm connected with the environment I'm in and I've and and it's quite an unusual state to be in Mm. of of having that simultaneous internal focus on thoughts and feelings and external focus on environment and the coldness of the water the feel of the water through your fingers the the wind or or lack of wind the wave or lack of wave the sun or lack of sun uh, the clouds the birds the the sounds a lot of people who live in cities don't necessarily feel that very much it's it is really nice i get it when i go on on holiday if you climb a big mountain or something like that the the sort of grandeur of nature so it gets to you doesn't it I mean, I I firmly believe that you can get it in a city as well. You know, you can practice it now. You know, you can put your head up. uh, You can look at a point on the ceiling. You can let your focus drift wider and notice the light coming through the window or through the door or um, and then hear the noise of traffic, you know. Um, So you can get that external focus, that external state. And it's it's something that I find very useful. I used to find it useful with patients. If you were focused internally on your emotions and they were ruling you to the point of 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 making you behave in certain ways sometimes the way to overcome that is to switch off from the internal and focus on the external so you can do it in a city but there is something awesome about nature when you do it when you do it in in special places and and places can become special for you because of that so gaddings became very special to me it now is a place where i go and i think of important people but also I'm hyper aware of my connection with the planet. It sounded quite meditative. What was the phrase that you used? Widen your... Wide, yes, just widen your breadth of vision. So, yeah. so you start with a point and just become more aware of your peripheries. Have you got into meditation recently then? Is that a... No, not particularly. Um, it's just something that's come through the cold water swimming. I've done a little bit around the science of thinking. So, you know, satisfying and type one thinking and more sort of um, deductive, uh, um, rational thinking. And what do you mean by type 1 thinking? Um, so the easiest way to describe it is, is when you drive, you don't think what you're doing. Um, in fact, you, you know, if you've driven somewhere, you may not even remember how you yeah. got there. You, you, but if somebody had stepped in front of your car, 
you'd have performed an emergency stop. So it's not that you were switched off or daydreaming, it's just that you were satisficing. You were you were cutting the corners and your brain was filling in the blanks and 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 performing the shortcuts for you. Um, so in in rugby, you you don't think when you get the ball. I mean, that's a silly thing to say, but you you know you when you've got the ball, you can run with it, you can kick it, or you can pass it. And if you stop and think, now am I going to run, or am I going to kick, or am I going to pass? Too late. It's too late. It's got to be synaptic. You've got to do it automatically. You want your players to drive in automatically, not to think. They've got yeah. to do. So yeah, so that's type one. It's satisfying, yeah, and it is. It is something that comes with practice and repetitions. And so you know, if you want something to become synaptic, you do. You do many repetitions, and it becomes synaptic. You know, one arm in front of the other, pull the water. One arm in front of the other. It's just what you do, and it becomes. You don't think about it. Mm. You, you spear the fish. You do your extension. You pull the water. You use your bent arm recovery, and you don't think about any of that. Now, you might focus on bits of that if you want to improve your stroke, or if you've got a coach, one of their jobs is to make you think about it. So in rugby, you know, you you want to kick, run, pass. Um, but if you're only satisfied in rugby, you wouldn't notice when it's on, you know, when you've got a three-man overlap or your fastest player is stood opposite the slowest player yeah. on the opposition. So that's where logical thinking has to come in so that's type two thinking now the best players people like johnny wilkinson i'm convinced that they live in a dual state of they do absolutely what's right in the moment but they're also absolutely switched on with that wider focus that i talked about to when there's an overlap but for most of us mortals the best that we can do is to toggle between those two states and if you're really lucky you can get those two states at the same time that and it and it is meditative i'm sure yeah is that the state they call flow do you think possibly yeah you just get into the zone and yeah everything seems possible everything seems possible but then you're aware of when of when something's on one of the ways that you can toggle between those two types of thinking is if you have something like a cognitive forcing function so if when you're driving along you start to routinely point at hazards with your finger that's a cognitive forcing function so it will make you think it's tiring because you're now your brain's working twice as hard because it's working in two states it's toggling between the two states satisfying and 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 problem solving but those cognitive forcing functions can help you toggle between the two i i watch my team a lot because i do the first aid for them and if I see something that's on, I'll shout mayday. Now, mayday in our team is a cognitive forcing function. It means that if you're taking the ball and you're doing the synaptic thing of, of kicking it or running with it or passing it, and you hear somebody shout mayday, you know that somewhere on the pitch, something's on. So it doesn't tell you what to do, but it tells you to switch to that. So you can spot to, it quicker. To spot mm. that, that. So we have that mayday call. And that's, that's, a, that's a, what they call a cognitive forcing function. You also spoke about the cold water. Mm. Is that something that you grew to love, do you think? Uh, it's, it's that thing, you know, how's, how's the water? It's lovely once you're in. Um, so it is lovely once you're in. Is it always hard? It's, a, it's, it's not always hard. So on the channel swim, it wasn't hard to get in the water. 
just wasn't Harlan. You you knew you had a changeover coming. You knew you had to take over from the previous relay swimmer. And you knew that the length of time that you spent faffing about on the changeover has an impact on whether you cross or not. You know, you you launch yourself into the water, you jump off the boat into the water. But uh, yeah, on a training day, when the water's cold and you're up to your knees and thinking, there's a lot of people do this stuff of splashing themselves and I can't do that. I have to just launch. Um, I am the same, exactly yeah, the same, yeah. yeah. So, um, and then you sometimes, you, I'll stand there for a minute or two thinking, why am I doing this again? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like anything. The, the work that you put in on the training paddock, it makes the thing that you're working for more enjoyable because you can savour it because you're not wondering whether you can cope with the cold. You mm. know you can cope with the cold, so you can not worry about it. You've put that hard work in already. You've got the mental toughness yeah. of making yourself get in every time. Yeah, yeah. do the mahi, uh, earn the treats. Do the mahi? Yeah, it's a, it's a Maori phrase, I think. It means, you know, put in, the hard, put in the hard work and then you get the treats. Nice. How cold was the channel then? Um, it, it wasn't too bad. It was, it was warmer than the reservoirs I've been training in. So um, one of the reservoirs I train in is Burwain, Lake Burwain, which is a sailing club at uh, Colne. And I swear that their thermometer is broken because it always reads much hotter than it feels. Um, so the channel, uh, when we did it, is, I think, between 14 and 15. And it felt, it felt warmer than that, uh, particularly on the French side. So I don't know why. Maybe you were just excited about getting there. Maybe. Maybe that's what it was. I remember from my scuba diving days, anything below 23, 24, you know, you were putting your hood on, didn't really want to get in the water, to be honest. As I say, I don't like the pool. I'm pool shy, really. And so that gives me a problem living in Yorkshire in the winter. Um, so what I've been doing is been swimming all year round uh, out, outside, which means that, you know, some days I have to break the ice. And, um, you know, I'm swimming in 0.6. Um, I look to the seasons changing. So I know that between naught and 5, I have to be very hyper-safe and mm. swim very short distances and usually half the distance I think I'm going to swim and then half it again as, with, with get-out points. Between 5 and 10, when you're going from, you know, under 5 to over 5, it makes a huge difference. Um, over 10, you can start thinking about losing the wetsuit. Uh, and doing a bit of cold water acclimatisation without the wetsuit. And over 15 is like a bath. <laughs> Don't know whether many people would agree with you like a bath. Have you heard of Wim Hof? I, I have. Um, and only because everybody says to me, have you heard of Wim Hof? The first time I came across him was I was swimming around Gab Gaddings and somebody said, have you heard of yeah. Wim Hof? And, uh, and I stopped swimming and went, no he said oh i thought you were swimming very much like him he holds 20 something world records for wow. various things like swimming the longest distance under ice i think he's swum over 100 meter under ice wow i mean the cold water does make a huge difference so if you think you can swim a mile and you haven't swum in cold water before you probably could only swim 100 yards and really the cold is when you should be taking extra precautions and the first year mm. i always had a spotter um i mean i'm i'm now cold water acclimatized and i'm i'm used to swimming in fairly cold water but i would never swim without a tow float or uh, without an easy exit so it's just not safe to swim when there's ice because the ice stops you getting out because it's, it's it freezes from the edges yeah into the center so there's a little bit of water in the center so you have to break your way 
um, into sort of a depth where you can dunk yourself and then you sort of dunk yourself and then you just literally walk out. I think the reason I brought him up was because he, he uses these phrases like the cold is a harsh mistress and it's the doorway to the soul and that sort of thing. And he says it, that it teaches him a lot about himself and about his control. And I think he uses breathing techniques to, to change how his immune system responds and how his, yeah. like how his body actually reacts. I'm sure there are physiological changes from repeated immersion in cold water. And, I, you know, wherever I get a cold, I always think, if I can't drown the fucker, I'm, I'm going to freeze it to death, and I take it, and I take my virus up to Gaddings, and I bloody thrash the thing, and um, it quite often works. <laughs> that is the exact opposite advice that most people would <laughs> yeah, be giving. Yeah, probably. And you say it works? Oh, I think it does, but you know that's probably all in the mind. But I mean, he would be inclined to agree with you, and yeah. he'd probably say that it is in the mind as well. Oh, it's certainly true that if you look at stressful life events that trouble the mind you're more likely to get physical illness afterwards. So, so if you can control your stress, now, now I don't believe you, you always can control, at least you can't control your stresses, you can only control your response to it. Mm. So, um, you know, again, from the channel swimming, we, we came across a lot of jellyfish, which is quite unusual at this time of year because it's quite early in the swimming season. And the natural response when you're swimming through a whole load of jellyfish is you get stung, is to stop. But that's no good, because if you stop, you've stopped in a load of jellyfish. So you can't think your way through them. You can't worry your way through them. You can't hope your way through them. You can't even scream your way through them. You can't say, fuck, I've been stung. Yeah, that won't help you get through them. The only thing you can do is to swim your way through them. So sometimes what you've got to do is counterintuitive, and it is about just keeping going. And I think that's sort of true in life really that some you know that you can't always control the environment you're in Uh, uh, you know clearly I chose to put myself in an environment where jellyfish were likely but sometimes that sort of stuff happens and there's no agency though the jellyfish didn't think oh look somebody's crossing the channel let's all congregate around their likely route they're spineless you know invertebrates there with sting and the only way is to get past them is to get past them and you know in life you come across dare I say it, spinous invertebrates who sting. And, and sometimes the only thing to do is to keep going. Yeah, I, th- I can't remember who said it, but there's that phrase, if you find yourself in hell, keep going. Keep going. Because you don't want to just stay in hell, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, it's a good advice, I think. Uh, I think the reason I wanted to speak to you initially, though, yeah. was because of yeah, your involvement in mixed ability sport. Yeah. I don't think that many people listening to this would probably have heard of this yet. So do you want to explain what mixed ability sport is yeah so if you talk about sport most people will think about elite sport premiership football or premiership rugby or uh, international competition and then if you say but what sport have you experienced most people will talk about grassroots sport and I've always been a fan of grassroots sports I think sports clubs are are health assets Um, I think they teach great values I think sport teaches great values yeah I agree and my, my rugby club players come up and they, they cry and, and, and they sweat and they bleed. And that pitch up there at Bailden is, is fertilised by the blood, sweat and tears of generations. And when you pull on a Bailden shirt, you have a connection not just with your teammates, but with the teammates that have gone before you. So, so it gives people values. It, it roots people in the communities that they live in um, and in not just in the 
present, but in the past, in the heritage. So, you know, we have um, on the walls of our club, we have, we have a memorial to the Bailden players who died in the First World War. And, and I don't, didn't know any of them. I didn't know anybody who knew any of them. But I do feel a connection with them because I know that they've sweated and cried and bled on the same pitch that I've sweated and, and you know, for the same cause that I've uh, sweated and bled for and cried for. So I think I've always got that grassroots sports is, is really important, that it's not about um, competing at the highest level, but it is, it is something that's very important. It's a health asset that gives people values, um, social capital, belonging, and of course, you know, it's good for their physical and mental health, you know, to, to exercise, undoubtedly. And then uh, uh, this um, uh, local player who'd got cerebral palsy and learning difficulties um said he wanted to play rugby and his first response was well we don't have people like you here or why don't you go and play disability rugby and and most people who think about disability sports will think about disability specific sports you know where where people are categorized but if you talk to people with disabilities um i mean firstly it's very difficult to categorise people because most people have comorbidities. So most people have multiple disabilities. So how do you start categorising for that when you've got maybe five things wrong with you? So, so if you ask people, most people with disabilities don't want to be put in a group that only come up to a club on a Tuesday afternoon where people with the same level of disability uh, are put together collectively in one group. What they want to do is to, to be allowed to join in. And Anthony... It was suggested that he played tag rugby because, you know, he wouldn't be able to get hurt in tag rugby. And he went, hang on a second. What do you mean I can't choose to be hurt? You you can choose to be hurt, Sam. You can be choose to be hurt, Mark. But why can't I choose to be hurt? It comes with rugby. Breaking bones comes with rugby. Bruises come with rugby. And you want me to play tag rugby? Well, I've got cerebral palsy, which makes my movements really jerky. So I'd be really useless at trying to pull a tag off somebody that heightens my disability. Well, actually, I'm quite a big man. If somebody wants to run round me, they've got quite a long way to run. If somebody wants to run through me, like they've got quite a lot of weight to move. So I'd be better, not a tag rugby, but a full contact rugby. And anyway, that's the rugby I want to play. So a really good guy at uh, the RFU called Hamish, Hamish Pratt, got Anthony's letter and pulled together a group of coaches and that first training session I think coaches outnumbered people uh, participants um, and from that the Bumbles mixed ability rugby team was born and so so I came across the Bumbles when they played Bailden and um, and I took my wife t- to watch and my wife's not a great fan of sport and doesn't really get sport she's very cynical about sport she says there's too much money in sport she talks about professional sport you know and it's got bad values and all the rest of it and I've tried to persuade her that local community sports is different. But when she saw the Bumble, she really got it. She said, this is great. This is really mm. good sport. This is what sport should be like. People joining in and being allowed to join in and achieving uh, what's possible for them and being helped to achieve what's possible for them. And I sort of got that. I got the merits of that. So I get the merits of grassroots sports. I got the merits of, of mixed ability and inclusive sports. And so I volunteered to... Um, do some first aid and some some medical support work for the first world mixed ability tournament that was that the IMAS um, International Mixed Ability Sports had put on in Bradford in 2015. 
And there I had an absolute flash moment. So uh, there'd been a long series of reports, um, Death by Indifference, Mind the Gap, that had, that had pointed out that people with, with disabilities, and particularly learning disabilities, suffered disproportionate health outcomes. And, um, you know, that, that, that should trouble us. It should, it should trouble the mind. Uh, you know, so if you're, if you're a woman with a learning disability, you'll die two to three decades before a woman without a learning disability. And that should shock you, mm. uh, make you ask questions, stimulate your intellect to ask why. And the, the leader, the Learning Disabilities Review, has pretty much said the same thing, that people are dying prematurely and largely through indifference. Uh, and, and I'm not indifferent to it. So for me now, these are now my fellow rugby players. You know, they're, they're people who play the same sport as me. And I mean, now they're my teammates. So it ceases to become purely intellectual. It starts to trouble not just my mind, but my heart. Mm. You know, I, I give a fuck. I care about these people. And I, it makes me fucking angry that they died two to three years earlier. Really angry. So you've got your mind and your heart. Your mind is is challenged your heart is troubled it, it has to call your hands to action it's got to call you to do something so i had that um i had that flash in 2015 i was talking to to players and to relatives and i remember talking to to a relative of a scottish player and he said before that's my grandson playing out there representing scotland in a world rugby tournament and he said before my grandson discovered rugby he sat in his bedroom looking at his bedroom wall and that's what that's what his day consisted of. Just because he didn't have an opportunity. Because he had no opportunity to do something that 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 he wanted to do that challenged him and that you know that wasn't disability specific. It was something that was was inclusive. Mm. And then at that same tournament, a fabulous bloke from Spain said, "Look what we've done here. We had this great celebration at the end of this tournament with all these teams and all these players." He said, "We've we've taken a sport like rugby, which." is elite you know there hasn't been a club that i've been in or been associated with that doesn't want to win the league and win the cup and and mm. get promoted and win 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 you know it's all a, it's all about success yeah sure so we've taken a sport that is that, that's interested in the in the elite that has been racist in its past has been homophobic has been misogynist and we've made it inclusive and he said if we can do that in rugby then why not in every sport and if we can do that in every sport, then why not in the workplace? Why not in education? Why not in our hospitals and health centres? Why not in health? And that just like the penny dropped. A way of making the world a better place was to promote this mixed ability inclusive model where everybody has a right, an equal right to happiness and inclusion and joining in. And we pretty much take the same rules as in sport. I mean, in the rugby, we have uncontested scrums. The laws of the game allow for uncontested scrums, and we don't have special rules. People join in. If you see a big lad running towards you, if you see Big Lee running towards you, who's got a learning disability, I guess, if you don't tackle him properly, you'll get hurt. So you've got to you've got to tackle him. Whereas if you see somebody coming towards you who's who's being supported, you know that you have to get them to the ground a little bit more gently. And, and I genuinely believe that playing mixed ability teams for my club, for Bailden, makes our players better player because they do that thing of developing peripheral awareness. So 
We talked earlier about type one and type two thinking. You, you coach your players to be synaptic, but actually what you want to do is to develop their peripheral awareness. Well, you have to be peripherally aware in mixed ability sports. If you're playing on a mixed ability team, you've got to be aware of the strengths and limitations of mm. the players closest to you and what's around you. If you're playing against a mixed ability team, you have to be hyper aware of their of, of the abilities of the person coming towards you. Yeah, you're meant to do that in every form of rugby, aren't you? But yeah. I suppose this is just heightened. Yeah, so it, so, it, so it heightens and builds that skill. So there's a benefit immediately. When I first, you know, I'll be honest, when I first started, I, this was built in my personal philosophy that you should receive according to need and you should give according to your ability. And that may mean that you might be blessed. You might be a lucky person who's a net contributor, you know, Overall, you give more than you receive. It's really important, however, to learn to receive. Most of the people that we have that volunteer for mixed ability sports who, are, who don't have a disability or don't perceive themselves having a disability start thinking that they're giving. And what you very rapidly learn is to have the grace to receive. I've, my mixed ability players have taught me so much. They overcome hurdles and barriers that that i haven't even imagined i haven't thought about and we talk a lot about white privilege you know you can't know what it's like to live in society as a person of color if you're you're white you can you can put yourself there but you can't really know i've got white privilege i've got male privilege but i've also got able privilege until people are your teammates you don't realize quite the barriers that they've overcome to be allowed to participate and the generosity. So I didn't think I'd play rugby again, but I've played, I've played mixed ability rugby. And the reason I've played mixed ability rugby is because, you know, even though I'm a bit duff and a bit old, actually I'm welcome there. Um, I'm a taker. I'm a, I'm a net taker in, in, in mixed ability sports. And some of the stuff that we've done, I mean, we've got, I think, 14 countries and 12 sports. But I mean, unlikely sports, rowing, boxing, and Bradford is the hub of this, really. Brilliant. Who is able to get involved in this then? I mean, are you going to say everybody, but who are the people who go and pick up these sports? So it is literally anybody. So um, we've had people signposted to us through health services. So in Bradford in particular, we've done a lot of work with the clinical commissioning groups and with local GPs to make leaflets available and, and through exercise on prescription schemes. But uh, But very importantly... It isn't just about people being prescribed exercise or, or, or directed. It can be anybody, you know, we don't put up barriers. So we have people who, who walk by one of our sessions. I mean, uh, Dorcas, who's a boxer, uh, walked by one of our sessions and saw a boxing session in, in progress. And she was a member of the local tennis and squash club. And she became involved because she'd walked past it and saw it and realised that, that it was something that she could join in. And I think it, what appealed to her was the inclusivity of it, that people are drawn to it because a lot of people's experience of, of exercise and, and sport is, is unpleasant. Many people remember being the last person to be picked for the team at school. Um, so a lot of people's experience of sport is quite negative. But the benefits of sport are, are phenomenal. So if you can break down those barriers... The benefit isn't just for people with, with disabilities. In fact, it's very difficult. It's, it's really, like on the rugby pitch, it's about your rugby ability. 
it's not about your disability it's about your ability it's an it's an asset-based mm. approach which requires a different conversation i think so you know mostly people ask what's wrong whereas if you say actually i don't want to know what's wrong i want to know what's important what can you do what do you want to do mm. um what's right and what how can we make that more so that's a wonderful different approach it's, actually yeah. it's, it's a reframing approach and i would say that the, the mixed ability model we we work on three levels so we work on sort of personal activation giving people a voice and saying yes you can you can do something you can if you want to you can be involved you can be included we give people a voice we we demand it's a right it's not about charity it's not about a gift it's a right to be included so we give people a voice to demand that right to be included then it we do community activation. So at a next level up, what we do is we go to rugby clubs like Bailden, like Keithley, and say, how would you like to be more representative of the community you serve? Have you thought about maybe more membership of your club, making, making your club bigger? And most clubs would go, yeah, that would be a great idea. Right, well, have you thought about the people who traditionally have felt, faced barriers to being included and have felt rejected or pushed away from, from rugby or boxing or rowing? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. And then finally, the top level is to try and change the system. So that means getting into big business, uh, getting into the politicians. And, you know, our local politicians have been very good on both sides. Um, you know, Philip Davis, John Grogan have supported us at Westminster. We've been in front of the sports minister, the ex-sports minister, Tracy Crouch. She mm. was very, very good. And that's about getting in at the highest levels to ask this question. If we look, if we can do this in a rugby club in Bradford and Bingley, why can't, why can't we do this elsewhere in society? What's stopping us? Why can't we make people more included? Why can't we, we, we focus on people's abilities, not on their disabilities? Why can't we, we play to people's strengths, not their weaknesses? And let's not focus on weaknesses all the time. Let's focus on strengths. And, and so changing the system, changing the structures and giving a voice to the, to the individual, those are the three levels that we work on. And it seems like it's an impossible job, right? Because we want to change the world. We want to make the world a better place. But what we say is we do it one, one game at a time, one tackle at a time. It's about changing the world, but it's about doing it one step at a time. That's all you can do. That's, you know, that's what rugby taught me you want to win a rugby match right you've played rugby you yeah. want to win yeah of course, course you do right you might be 20 minutes into the match you're 20 points down on the scoreboard you'd like it to be nil nil again but that ain't gonna happen that's never happened that's it the scoreboard never resets so you want to score a try at least you want to score a try right so you'd like to be five yards from their try line but you might not be five yards from their try line you might be five yards from your own try line yeah under the cosh so you have to start where you are. Yeah, don't start where you want to be. You have to start where you are. Rugby teaches us that. We'd like to start every try scoring move five yards out, but sometimes we have to start five yards from our own try line. We have to use what we've got. So it'd be great if you had a, a fly half of the boot like Johnny Wilkinson who can boot you 80 yards down the pitch and you've got a second row who can leap like an eagle and clutch the ball out of the air and give it to your back so we're going to sweep over and score but if you haven't got johnny wilkinson or martin johnson what are you going to use you're going to use what you've got start where you are use what you've got 
do what you can. You'll make a difference. Don't worry about the outcome. The outcome will take care of itself. Don't worry about the ownership. Don't worry about who gets the credit for it. Just start where you are, use what you have, do what you can, and then good things happen. And I know that from medicine. You know, I, I think I was privileged. As a GP, I saw, I saw the best in people. If you, if you work in law enforcement, you probably see the worst in people. Yeah, you mm. see people at their worst. Um, and that's not saying that I didn't see horrible contexts. I saw people who'd been betrayed and let down by people they should have been able to trust, sometimes unspeakably, in horrible, unspeakable ways, you know, sexually abused by members of their own family. You know, that's, that's shocking. So I saw people in terrible contexts, but I saw people dig deep and do extraordinary things. And this podcast, you know, you, you want to talk to people who've done extraordinary things that are inspirational. But I would say that everybody does extraordinary things in their personal lives. Sometimes just getting up in the morning, if you've been through some of the shit that some of my patients had been through, is extraordinary. And, you know, I've seen the perpetrators as well. I've seen people who've done those terrible things to people who've been the worst that you can imagine a human being being but I've seen them dig deep as well and face their own mortality with some dignity and resolution and but I've seen people at their best I think if we have different conversations and try to see people at their best and have the conversation that focuses on achieve people achieving their best I think we can change change the world i think we can make the world leave the world in a better state than we found it being a gp and seeing all this variety that we have in humans you've had a privileged view of a lot of people that the majority of us don't get to see so in my day-to-day -day life i don't come across very many people with disabilities and maybe that's one of the problems that you when you were talking about before about the what was the paper called that was death written? by indifference so if people don't like me i don't come across it very much it's quite easy to think it doesn't exist or not, yeah. not realize what the problems I, may be well i think it's deeper than that everybody that you, everybody that you meet the next person that you meet after interviewing me is dealing with with shit with unimagined is carrying shit you don't know about mm. okay so every, all of us do so that's one of the things that general practice teaches you is that everybody carries shit everybody's had now, some people worse than others, but everybody's carrying shit. Don't imagine it's special and don't imagine that you don't know people who aren't burdened because you do. And, every, and it's everybody, by the way. <laughs> Good to remember that. Yeah. One of the problems is that a disability model, uh, um, making it special adjustments, putting people with disabilities in, in their own group, doesn't break down those barriers and create that inclusion that is really important. So... Yeah, it is really important that you've got um, you've got friends with disabilities, and if you've met people with disabilities. But of course, that in its own right is is only part of the problem because your focus then is I've got a friend with a disability. No, you've got a friend. If the focus is not their disability, you've got a friend, and that's good. You know, who would who doesn't want more friends? And so I still do this, and it's really difficult because it is part of your ableist privilege is. A couple of years ago, we had a taster event. 
I drove up. It was at Heaton Tennis and Squash Club. It's a great big hangar, it's, which is ideally suited to a taster event. You can put a rowing machine in. You can put, you can play tennis. You can do a bit of indoor cricket. You do indoor rugby, movement and dance, and all those things. And we had we had we were showcasing, I think, twelve sports. And I drove up, and I as I parked my car, this big van drove up and parked in the dis, in the disabled slot with the wheelchair sign. The doors of this great big van opened and a, an automated ramp came out, right? And down this ramp came the biggest fuck-off wheelchair you've ever seen in your entire life. It's huge, right? And there's Anthony in it. And, he's, and you know, I'm already, you know, with the medical thing looking, I'm thinking, I wonder what's, you know, wonder what's wrong with him. You know, I'm, I'm, mm. I'm taking a deficit focus, yeah? And Anthony comes down, down the ramp with his wheelchair and I can see that his right hand is... It's not moving, it's, it's resting on a perspex screen. His left hand is, is moving slightly and it's controlling the pylon that's moving the wheelchair, yeah? So Anthony comes down, I go, I thought, oh, I better go up and say hello. So I went up to, hi, I'm, my Mark, everyone calls me Doc. And he says, uh, how are Anthony? I said, um, so I'm going to have a go at uh, the rowing and the boxing. What are you going to have a go at? And I'd already compartmentalised him, right? So I'd already categorized him as a wheelchair user somebody who's not got much use in his right hand at all he's got a little bit of use in his left hand he's got something more in his neck because it's in a brace and, and you know and i'd already categorized him and i'd already decided what sport he was going to do i thought he was going to move his wheelchair across a dance floor in movement and dance i thought it'd be quite cool and he said i'm going to have a go at boxing and i thought that's interesting uh, so I followed him over to the boxer, and, and really nice coach, really great bloke, um, gloved him up and said, come on then, let's, let's get that hand moving. He said, well, I can't move that hand. He says, don't, don't matter. He says, I want to see you hit the pad. And uh, he held a pad above his, his hand, and he went, go on, hit it. Nothing happened. I swear nothing happened. And he went, well done, that was really good. I saw something move then. And Anthony goes, all right, okay. He says, well, try it again. So still nothing happened he said that was really good as well he said now try it faster he says now try it harder now add a little twist nothing happened then he went over to his good hand the one that had, you know left hand that had moved the pylon and he held the pad above and he said now hit the pad and he did have a bit of movement in the hand and it was about six inches the pad above his you know his gloved fist and he went <laughs> he said that's good he says now do it harder <laughs> now do it faster he says now add a twist this went on for about 20 minutes at the end of it he lifts up his limp hand and he goes champ Anthony goes hey that's great he says I want to sign up he says right okay every Thursday we're hiring a squash court here we're going to get um, a boxing coach to come along you're welcome come and join in first Thursday Anthony turns up in his wheelchair can't get it through the door of the squash court it's too big alright the manager of the squash court's walking past What's going on here? Thought you'd hide the squash court. Why are you coaching in the corridor? Can't get his wheelchair in. That's no good, he said. That's no good at all. Got onto the club's main sponsor, Manningham Concrete. Within a week, they put in a ramp, knocked through the doorway, put in a bigger, wider door. So before he'd done anything, Anthony has already changed the assets in Bradford for somebody in a wheelchair who wants to play squash yeah so so the difference he's made to other people is enormous so so he went along and he's he's, he's gone along every Thursday ever since I believe um anyway six months in they they contacted me and they went doc 
is it ever possible for somebody who's been paralyzed to recover some function? And they showed me a video and it's on YouTube. You can, you can, if you put in mixed ability boxing, Bradford, you'll get this, this video of Anthony. And what you see him is hooking with his good left hand, jabbing with his right and getting his guard up. Is that, I mean, it is possible. I, it's clearly I didn't possible. know that was possible. I, one of the things that you learn is not to categorize people and pigeonhole them and limit them with your horizons. So what you don't say is, this is what's possible. What you say is surprise me. And you are continually surprised with what people can do mm. when they're given the opportunity, when they're not constrained by what you realize is that the people with the disability is us that we're the ones who are disabled. We're disabled by our limited imagination about what people can do. People can do so much more if they're included and if they're given opportunities and if they're given the, the sorts of coaching that, you know, the NHS gave Anthony a wheelchair, but mixed ability boxing gave him his hand function back. That must make a massive difference to his life. Oh, absolutely. I talked to somebody who who knew somebody whose job was to help feed him. And of course, now he can get his hands to his face. The difference that can make is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. You have the sort of autonomy over your own life. So the gift, the gift for that for me is, you know, there are times when I think I can't do that. And I think, what would Anthony do? Would Anthony just give up? Did Anthony just give up? No, he bloody didn't. So Anthony then is giving to me and I'm the recipient I'm the person who's disabled. I'm the person who's, whose horizons are limited. I'm the person who's pigeonholes people. So our problem is not just that we don't know people with disability. It's the fact that we categorise people with disability as disabled and we see them. So like I say, don't look for a friend with a disability. Just look for a friend. And, and you know, people with disabilities can be great friends. <laughs> surprise, surprise. What have the governing bodies of these various sports like the RFU how have they uh, took to this idea? Are they, are they on board? Are they helping? A lot of people take a deficit-based approach, a risk-based approach. So, so As you know, we all would. At the yeah, start. yeah. So, so what what would happen if somebody got injured? And you know, Anthony Brook is very clear on this. He says, "I've broken my collarbone. I've dislocated my shoulder. I've ruptured my cruciate. I've fractured this, that, and the other." as has any rugby player, and that's my right, and I choose to do it. And of course, I get injured because I play rugby. So. What you have to do is you have to reframe for those governing bodies that are risk averse, the risks against the wider benefits. So if you say people die two to three decades earlier, and part of that is genetic, for sure. Some of it is, indiffer is medical indifference, for sure. But some of that is barriers to inclusion in healthy lifestyles. So if you reframe the risks in the context of the overall wider benefits then that will help. But I, I, I guess our best story is, is of the Irish team, which is um, Sunday's Well Rebels. And they're called the Rebels because they're a mixed ability team in, in Cork. And the Irish RFU told them that they, they shouldn't exist, they shouldn't, they shouldn't play um, mixed ability rugby. It's, you know, they didn't want people with disabilities being included in, in a mixed ability format. But they set a team up anyway. But they set a team up anyway, and they got to the World Cup final uh, in 2015. They played and they won it. 
Um, and on the eve of the match, they were getting texts off uh, Simon Zebo and and you know current Irish uh, uh, national play, players. Inter- international players. Of, uh, you know, good luck, lads. And right. next year in 2020, the World Tournament is being held in Cork, and the Irish RFU is right behind it. The um, chief executive of England Boxing, we've had him down and taken part in an inclusive boxing coaching session, non-contact boxing session with the Mixed Ability Boxers in, in Bradford. And he totally gets it. Rowing. I mean, the stuff that's happened at Bradford Amateur Rowing Club in Saltaire is just transformational. And I mean, you do think of rowing as quite an elite sport, you do. don't you? Yeah, yeah. And and they, they thought of themselves in Bradford, they thought of themselves as pretty inclusive. And then when Michael went and started rowing with them, they, they went, okay, well, we thought you were inclusive, but we didn't have people like Michael here. And now we do, and we're the better for it. And, and one of their old boys there that did a great piece for us. And he said, um, what, it, what it's done for me is it's, it's given me hope. He said, my, my granddaughter has been born with... And you could see him doing the little internal search on, on the video. His eyes were going backwards and forwards, and he, he couldn't find the right word, the politically correct word to say. And he said, she's been born with some difficulties. And then there's a little catch in his throat, and he says... And, and the thought that, 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 that a rowing club could be a place where she would come and be accepted as just another rower, it gives me some hope. And, and I always think, you know, hope, hope is priceless. You know, how do you put a value on that? It's, it's, it's absolutely priceless. To give, to give people hope that the world can be a better, more inclusive place, that is a gift that all of us can take, surely. I guess that that has so many parallels in in terms of other um, types of othering you know i mean particularly in a world where you know i guess guess we've been through 10 years of austerity or and and one of the natural tendencies of people is to become tribal and to look to seek to blame others and the human tendency to seek to blame and to other people you know whether it's refugees or uh, people of colour or people with different sexual orientation or whatever. That ability to say they're different, they're other, is one of the worst parts of human nature. And if we can tackle that in some way, if we can, can recognise that othering is perhaps normal, that perhaps it's part of the natural human instinct is to, is to categorise and say, look like, uh, you look like me, I'm, I'm, I'm like you, I've got lots in common with you, but is ultimately harmful that actually we have far more in common with, with, with people that we think are different to us than we ever really understand. I think it's an important movement, but I think it's an important time for this movement because there, there is so much um, going on in the world that, that relies on othering and blaming and looking in and seeking to exclude that more than ever now's the time to kick down barriers and to, to seek to be more inclusive. But I think that's such an amazing message. I think you're right. It, it is about the wider society. I think if more people do get involved in this, it will translate to a lot of different areas of their, their own lives as well as in society. Are there centres set up around the UK then? Uh, you, said, you mentioned in Yorkshire, like in Bradford, there is 
uh, quite a big community. Yeah, so we've got a little bit of um, we've got a little bit of lottery funding through Sport England to roll out the mixed ability model in I think four other locations and and four other sports, which we've done really well. We've got some RFU money through Try for Change, and we facilitated a number of um, mixed ability rugby teams in in England being set up. Um, you know, I have to give a shout, a massive shout out to uh, Gwil. Um, who has been doing this in Wales for 20 years or more. And then it's part of a, an international movement. So we've got somebody like Daniel in South America who's who's getting the model out there. So so Daniel in 2015 took, I think, two players across here, both with Down syndrome. And there are now, uh, at the last world tournament in Spain, uh, Argentina sent two full teams and um, there's a team being set up now in Ecuador. So the mixability rugby thing seems to be taking off. All, yeah, in all, just a few all years, it's yeah, blown up. Yeah, and so we want to change the world. We don't know what that's going to, what that middle part of the journey is going to look like. We know what the first step is in getting people to, to join up and join in. And we know what an inclusive world would look like, but we don't know what the middle part of the journey is going to look like, whether it's going to be it taking off in the Far East or South America, whether it's going to be rugby or boxing or rowing or football or dance or golf are all those sports sports that people can get involved with yeah. at the moment yeah very much so yeah super super ones cricket in bradford's really taken off just recently boxing as i say is just un- unorthodox um who are um you know our partners in, in boxing they're just fantastic absolute sarah's absolutely brilliant um can i just ask about the competition aspect of it mm. you were talking about the world cup mm. Now, you've got players on the field who might have cerebral palsy or Down syndrome or they might be able-bodied or they might be 60 years old. I suppose my question is more about fairness. Is there ever a question of, oh, should I not go and score this try because I feel like I'm, uh, I'm being unfair on the opposition here? It's, it's really difficult to explain in a podcast. and you need to experience it. You do, you, yeah. You need to see it. So what we hear about, we probably forget what we see we probably remember but what we participate in we start to understand so if you participate you you know if you come along you really do start to understand it so in in the rugby you know that there is there is proper rugby i mean rugby is i think i mean i'm biased Uh, (laughs) rugby i think is a beautiful sport it has a a pattern and a choreography about it that when it flows well it is simply beautiful and some of the most beautiful rugby i have seen has not been england playing at twickenham it's been mixed ability teams playing in spain or bradford and there is a choreography that is you know that is just rugby at the end of the day it is just rugby so yeah there is a competition and there is you know there are pool stages and then there is a, a knockout stage and there you know and the, the, the all of the participants you know if there are 16 teams there's a team that comes first and there's a team that comes 16th and i guess learning to lose is part of life part of life like it is for Bailden. um however there is something other that's that's really quite important which is the spirit of rugby trophy and the spirit of mixed ability rugby trophy goes to the team that encapsulates the spirit of mixed ability rugby the best so that doesn't mean letting people score sometimes that means that means not letting people score that means you know so that if if somebody scores a try against you they've worked bloody hard for that try 
and you haven't gifted it to them it's through merit so the spirit of rugby trophy is we the referee is the arbiter of the spirit of rugby and awards points to the teams that they referee that most embrace the spirit of mixed ability and inclusion so it is about making sure that all of the players get a turn it is about making sure that players get to test their ability but inevitably there is a there is a bit of give and take with that and so um, as I say we don't have uh, competitive scrums and that that's you know because well, if you've got down syndrome you might have a weakness in your neck and so so we we have non-competitive scrums and we tend not to counter ruck terribly strongly and you would tend to base your tackle on the tackle outcome i.e stopping the player and, and bring them down rather than putting in the biggest hit you possibly can so that I would say would be the spirit but it's very difficult to explain it's so much better to see it and there are some brilliant videos about the rugby there's an explanation from a referee a Spanish referee um, from the tournament in Spain in 2017 and he had those reservations he said when I came to it I'd never refereed a mixed ability game before and now that I've done it I understand and and he said the rugby is total and and that's the best thing I can say. The rugby is total. It's more rugby than England Wales. It's it is it, it's more rugby than England England Wales in 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 the Millennium Stadium or or at Twickenham. It's it is rugby. It's wow. total rugby. I, I played rugby for maybe twenty three years or so. I loved the game. I loved trying to win. But the most important part of it for me, I think, was the team aspect, the camaraderie that you have an experience and it's just such an amazing thing to be able to open that up to a whole new group of people who don't usually get that opportunity that's definitely true so the social capital side is really important and Maeve Darcy one of our coaches of, of the Irish team the uh, Sunday's Well Rebels she said that the biggest benefit is taking the team on tour I've just come back from a f- rugby festival in Flanders it's the biggest tens rugby tournament in the world and um, for the first time ever they they had a mixed ability stream they had an inclusive stream and um, there were four teams there a team from Italy a team from Flanders who'd never played before together there were four clubs that joined together done some evening coaching sessions um, but this was the first time that the team had actually come together on the pitch there was uh, the Irish team and there was an invitation mixed ability team from, from IMAS. So the really important thing is, Maeve says that the really important thing is to get teams touring. So it wasn't just about the performances on the pitch. It was about the partying afterwards and the team games and the spirit. What you see when you go to these international tournaments is people touring for the first time. And I remember in Spain, there was somebody who said, um, their mum said, they need one-to-one toileting and somebody with them at all times. And he'd gone on tour and he was taking himself to the toilet and he didn't have one-to-one all the time. He'd found some new independence. And I saw an Italian player who I'd last seen in Spain and who was at the Flanders tournament. And this was the first time he'd gone on tour and his mother hadn't come with him, he'd stepped up another level. He'd found another another level of independence. So lots of things keep us behaving the way that we've always behaved. Some of it is the culture that we're in. And when you take somebody out of Keithley Rugby Club and you take them on tour to the Isle of Man or to France or um, 
Prague or wherever it is you go on tour, you change the context and you give the opportunity for people to change their behaviours. They don't always take it, but it gives people the opportunity. And so that social capital and that, that ability to, to get out of the normal box that you're in and be in a different box that's got different shapes and different edges enables people to, to grow in ways that you can't predict, actually. Uh, but it's beautiful when you see it. Yeah, you see that in, in all people. If they go yeah. and live away from home from the first time, yeah. they yeah, change, yeah. they get that different independence. Yeah. It's one of the hidden ways that we deny people with disability is, yeah. is that we seek to keep them in boxes that are comfortable for us, but which aren't necessarily boxes that people choose. I mean, that's one of the things, isn't it? You've got to sometimes push yourself to do something that's a bit uncomfortable, like sure. going back to your swimming. <laughs> You've got to push yourself through that barrier to be able yeah. to achieve something and to be able to improve and grow. And I suppose that's what must be happening on tour when they get that independence that's maybe not the most comfortable thing initially for them. But I think what you find is that people are often limited, not by their ability, but by other people's perception of their disability. That actually people's ability mm. is often far greater than people give credit for you know this has been true all my life you know, people say oh, that person can't possibly give up smoking well do you know what they bloody can and they do for some people giving up smoking is is their english channel and it's harder the bravest swim on my channel crossing was not my swim it was not it was it was actually probably one of the people who would say she was the weaker swimmer but her getting in the water the second time after she'd melt, melted down in the water the first time was awesome. I mean, just unbelievable. Yeah, something that I can't, Im you know, we all have meltdowns. But to recover, I couldn't see myself recovering. So that, for me, was the biggest moment on the swim, was, was somebody's recovery from a, from a quite difficult state you know that we we all know what it's like to be in difficult states to be you know very anxious or or very scared or or very angry you know some we've all been owned by our emotions at times um you know anger is mine anger's my my horrible emotion that owns me and to recover when your emotions own you is is something special but but people do that all the time and not in the context of swimming the channel. You know, people do it in the context of giving up smoking or in the context of getting up next day when, when, when life's been unfair to them for the last seven days, the last 52 weeks, the last 10 years. In fact, some people, when you have a different conversation with them about how things could be different or better, they can't remember what good was like. You say to them, how would things be if they were different? And their eyes go left and right and up and down. And it's clear they don't know what different was but different would be good but then you have to have a different conversation you have to take them out of the box that they're used to being in and the box is often not of people's choosing and often often not of people's making what sort of advice might you give to someone when they're transitioning into a new phase of their life because you've been through a, a few phases like you worked as a, <laughs> a doctor for 30 plus years yeah and then I've written down your title somewhere, Director of Postgraduate General Practice Education. Um, I mean, that's a completely different role to actually seeing patients day in, day out, I suppose. Yeah. And then through to now your involvement with IMAS. Yeah. Taking those new challenges on, what sort of advice might you give to someone progressing to a new stage? Don't just see it how you see it. See it how other people see it. So the advice to me when I took up swimming to have a coach, it's 
I think, genuinely really good life advice. To have somebody who isn't you, doesn't necessarily swim to your abilities or capabilities. I mean, Eddie Jones can't play rugby like Maratoje, but who can give you a view of yourself that's different? I, I remember talking to, to um, Brian Noble, who's been closely associated with our club over the years and was a local copper in, in Bradford before he played for Bradford Northern, before he coached England and all the rest of it. And, and what Brian Noble said is that top sportsmen are quite different to, the, to you and I. They crave feedback and they crave negative feedback. They want to know what they've done badly, whereas most of us want, you know, we want a shit sandwich. We want, tell me what I did well, tell me what I could improve on, then, t- and then give me another stroke to send me off with, you know. <laughs> um, so I definitely think getting, if you're going through a transition, triangulate where you are and where you think you might be going with, with an external view of yourself. Don't just take a point from where you are. But ultimately, you are where you are. So, so that, that bit that I said about you are where you are, start where you are, not where you want to be. Use what you have, not what you don't have. So don't think you're a different person. You know, don't think that I'm a different person as a GP director than I was as a GP. Or I'm a different person as a non-executive director of IMAS than I was as a GP director. I'm the same person. I'm still Mark. Start where you are, use what you have, and that's you. And do what you can. And do what you can is the most important thing. And, and, and just keep doing it. You know, just that Nike thing, just do it. That's, that's so true. Don't give up. If what you're doing is the right thing, just keep doing it. And don't stay in hell. You know, keep moving. If you find yourself in hell, don't stop there. Just keep moving. But yeah, I think, I think having a coach is, 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 or having an external view. A coach is perhaps too formal a term have trusted people around you that can take a view now that they might be partial so you know i mean i I might take a view from my children and from my wife and they're partial because they're part of the system that i'm in or i might take a view from somebody who's a little bit less partial because they're a little bit more distant so if i was to say to you sam what do you think i should do next and i should carry on with this mixed ability lark you know you'd have a different view to that of my wife and my children because you wouldn't know what i've invested you wouldn't know how important it was to me but you might see the potential for it um so you'd have a different view so i would say triangulate where you are triangulate where you want to be and that means not taking single bearings but multiple bearings of your position and sometimes it's useful to have a bearing from somebody who's a little bit more distant who's not part of the box you know if what you're doing is trying to go beyond the box it may it may not be right for you you might you might be in a great box that you've chosen you've put you've made the sides to your box you've made the shape of your box and it's the place you want to be that's brilliant stay there if that's what you want but you might look around and say i'd like it to be different i'd like things to be different well a lot of us want things to be different but we don't like change so hang on you want things to be different but you don't want to change Mm. well how things are going to be different then who wants things to be different everybody puts their hand up who wants to change nobody puts their hand up you've got to confront that so if you want things to be different you've got to do something different you've got to make a change might be now the that, change you want to see in the world yeah and i think that's very important to i think i think the other thing about change is that any change involves any change involves challenge so i think recognizing that you need to change or recognizing the need for change 
can be quite dispiriting because you thought you were fine and then suddenly you think actually I'm not fine you know I'm uh, I thought the world was a great place but actually it's not it's killing people it's killing people prematurely through through indifference fuck I care about that I want that to be different well okay so that's an intellectual challenge it becomes a heart challenge and emotional challenge but then you've got to do something with your hands you really have to to make that change happen and it may be as simple as just calling on your neighbor it may be as simple as just realizing when you're judging people by their limitations or their apparent limitations or by their disability and saying actually this is this is a person with with hopes and dreams and abilities and many of those are hidden you know a lot of that's below the waterline a lot of people's abilities and potential is below the waterline. I think that's a really good point to end on. And yeah, in answer to your question, I do think that you should stay <laughs> with this mixed ability spot thing yeah, from I our conversation well. today. It <laughs> seems like for you, it's been a, you said that you're a taker. It's been such a big part of your growth over the last few years. And yeah, hopefully you can lead as an example for more people to get involved in it I as well. I hope so. So do you just want to say the website address and any other ways that people can get yeah. in touch? Yeah, I'll just get my card out so I can get it absolutely right. <laughs> so if you want to be involved, mixedabilitysports.org and sign up to the manifesto. It costs you nothing. Anybody can sign up. You can sign up as an individual. You can sign up as an organization. All you've got to do is to agree with the values in the manifesto. And there are six values and they're on the website and they're well worth having a look at. And if you do agree with them, as a first step to your inclusion journey, sign sign up to our manifesto and um, support however you can. Start where you are, do what you can. But if you can just sign up, that would be really helpful. We're not asking for money. We're not asking for your time. We're just asking for you to say, do you agree with this? If you agree with it, please do sign up. So it's www.mixedabilitysports, which is all one word, dot org. And we're on Twitter and Instagram and all of that. Some YouTube videos. Yeah, and lots of YouTube videos, yes. If you type in uh, IMAS, International Mixed Ability Sports, and Mixed Ability, um, you'll get a load of, a shed load of videos. uh, Rowing, boxing, rugby, mostly. Um, but, uh, But also some great taster days and so on. Amazing. All right, thank you very much for your time. It's been really interesting. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. On this podcast, I've heard some truly amazing stories from people trying to improve the world around them. These people are out to educate and inspire positive thinking regarding some of the most difficult challenges that we face. Animal welfare, mental health issues, drug policies, wealth inequality, and today, as Mark says, the disproportionate health outcomes for those with disabilities. I want to thank Mark once again for taking the time out to discuss this with me and I urge you to go and check them out online at mixedabilitysport.org. In the show notes, there'll be a link to that website, also to the video of Anthony, the wheelchair-bound boxer, as well as the IMAS YouTube page. And as always, thank you very much to Laura James for this music from her track, Rooftops. I'll put a link to her YouTube page in there as well. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, bye-bye.